0: Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Well, hey, good morning, everyone, all of our campuses, all of us here. Uh, Glad to be with you. Good to be back. Um, uh, The last two weeks, if if you thought I was riding my motorcycle or if you thought I was just going on spring break, um, you're wrong. I was working, but we were helping uh, two different churches in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Chicago, Illinois. How many know those two, those two cities need help, right? Um, those churches are awesome. And I, we had the opportunity as a church to, to kind of help other churches every now and then. And, and so this year we've got five that we're helping. So anyway, that's what I was doing in case you're monitoring my schedule. <laughs> I know nobody here would do that. Um, hey, so good, man! Uh, before I dive into the message, uh, I don't know if you knew this. Uh, a few years ago, we started a college here at Hope. Uh, when I say started, we actually partnered with a school called Southeastern University uh, in Lakeland, Florida, and Christian University. And for a discounted rate, we have a campus here on site for the last few years. And it is. Uh, let me give you some bullet points of this because we have a a one-day coming up for uh, the SEU at Hope, we're an accredited university. So in other words, UT, University of Houston, Oklahoma, whatever, we're in the same uh, category of credentials as those or the community colleges around us. So these, these classes can transfer anywhere. It's an accredited university, education that prepares not only us for the academic and the professional uh, stuff that we need, but also from a Christian worldview. And that is becoming more and more important, in in my opinion. And I think statistics prove it. Seventy five percent of Christian young adults who go to college do not continue their journey of faith while they're in college. Seventy five percent. So there's a lot of reasons for that, <clears throat> I'm sure. But um, here at a Christian university, we're able to be smaller and provide a worldview that is really important. Student life uh, is, is a great important, of, of great importance, spiritual formation. The students gather together in smaller settings and build lifelong friends, strengthen their faith, and reinforce their Christian values. So uh, a lot that goes on here at SEU, and we have tons of kids that, that come, and I'm so excited about it. We have a one-day thing coming up, so let me give you the facts. If you are a sophomore, a junior or senior, or you have a sophomore, junior, senior in your home, or you want to continue your education, um, we want to invite you to this one-day thing. Date is March 30th, 9.30 to 1.30 here at the Frisco East Campus, high school sophomores, juniors, seniors, and parents, free lunch, and excused absence from school. How many are in? And work, by the way, and work. Your, your, your boss will totally understand. And register online here at SEU Hope. Uh, SU at okay? So that's that. Um, Easter's coming around the corner, and I, I want to encourage you to go pick up an Easter invite. If you can, uh, I don't know if you can, but get in a little closer, because this is my favorite graphic. Oh, we have one up here that's even better. Isn't this cool? I love this. I like these colors. It's just uh, spring, Easter, One of these things, uh, listen, you never know what invitation might change somebody's life. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I've experienced that personally where I've invited people to hope. And and I'll be honest with you, that's a weird thing for me to do that. And the reason I say that is I feel self-conscious about inviting people to our church. Hey, come to our church and hear me speak. You know, that kind of, I just feel weird about that. But I do it anyway because I know I have to. No, I'm kidding. I want to. I want to, but you never know what one invitation that you give to a neighbor, extend to a co-worker or a friend at school might change their life. And so Easter at Hope is April 8th and 9th, just a few weeks away, and I want to invite you to pick up one of these. You can do it in all of the uh, information centers in our lobbies and pick up a few of them and just pass them out. There's a QR code in the back that can register. Uh, I say register, but, you know, reserve a seat or whatever, and we would love for you to, and we'll talk more about that later. Today, I want to continue our series in the book of John, the Gospel of John, a cast of characters. So if you're just now joining us, maybe first time online, um, or the first time here at Hope, I'm so glad that you're here. We're in a series in the Gospel of John since February, and we're going up to Easter looking at some of the characters that Jesus encountered in the Gospel of John. How did, how did that change their lives, and how does it speak to our lives today? Last couple of weeks, uh, Zach and Eric, our campus pastors at, at Frisco West and McKinney, shout out to them. Can we give it a, them a hand? They did awesome, and I watched it. Great job, guys. I love you guys. They did a, a fantastic job talking about religious uh, encounters that Jesus had with religious people, and then Eric last week with Lazarus and uh, Mary and Martha, and so we're going to just pick that up in the next chapter, but we're going to talk about Judas Iscariot today. He was a disciple of Jesus, and he was a famous disciple, but for all the wrong reasons. I uh, recently, a friend uh, had me watch a documentary on golf. Now, I know a lot, maybe some of you are not really into golf, but this documentary is called Full Swing. And uh, there's some language in it, so I'm not suggesting that you watch it. Um, But the first episode is this kind of general overview of kind of what goes on on the PGA tour. There's an episode where they talk about the new uh, Saudi Arabia tour, live tour. And um, the first episode is two guys, uh, all of us, most of us would know them. Uh, They live in this area. And very. I mean, for the most part, pretty much likable guys. You know, you just you're kind of rooting for them. You kind of like, yeah, hey, these are. Great. And it's really interesting to watch their journey, and and see you know how their life is. The second episode, um, a totally different look at a different kind of golfer. I'm not going to give any names because it's not really that important. But one of the golfers they they showed. Um, you, ever, you ever met those people that are hard to like? You know, look straight ahead. Um, uh, it's not your wife or your husband. Um, but there are those people that you kind of, maybe you, you see a character on, on TV or uh, in a movie or, or something, but this, this person was, you know, when initially, you're watching this thing, and it, just a punk. You know, I mean, just attitude, cocky, and, and through this whole hour or so, I'm like going, yeah, man, this, man, man. Hard, hard to like. But by the end of the episode, um, I felt sorry for him. I felt, I felt really sorry for him. I felt sad for him. One, one uh, I mean, there was a few years where he was just winning everything and then absolutely nothing. The bottom drop, drops out and, I mean, he's not winning anything. Now, I'm not feeling sorry for him because he didn't have any money. He's got millions. He just signed with the live tour. But the the reality is, Judas, my first thought, and my first thought about this disciple is punk. First thought is, man, this guy, hard to like. True, true. But, but they're also, by the end of this study, right? right I mean, so I'm studying for this, not realizing what I'm going to find out <clears throat> in, in, in concluding the message. In other words, writing it. I found myself feeling sorry for him. I found myself looking at the story a little bit different eyes, just like I I saw that golfer and I was like, yeah, this is crazy, man. And then feeling sorry for him. That's the way I feel about Judas. This is a guy that followed Jesus and saw the miracles. I mean, he watched him teach, raise the dead. In the chapter before we're getting ready to read, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And yet really, really struggle. So here's where we're going today. I'm going to give you a few bullet points of background on Judas. Then we're going to look at chapters 12 and 13 of John and pick out two stories of Judas. They're right in a row. That's where I kind of want to hone in today. And then then we're going to pray together. I think this is, um, I want you to open your hearts because I think this is going to be a little more challenging than, than you might think. The background of Judas, he First of all, let me just put it on the screen. Judas is the Greek name for Judah, and it was a very popular name in the first century, actually, and centuries in the Jewish community before and after. It was a very popular name, like John is today, or, or, you know, Jason, or, you know, Tom, or whatever, A very kind of common name. A lot of kids had that. It was a very popular name. Okay, He was probably never a true believer in Jesus' message. Now, this is an interesting point. In John uh, chapter 6, kind of early on in the gospel, let's read how Jesus knew who would not only not believe but betray him. Many of his disciples said, this is when he said, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Okay, So we've talked about this before. Very difficult passage to understand. But Jesus wasn't talking about literal blood, literal flesh. He was talking about spiritually speaking. But many of his disciples didn't understand that. And they said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascending to heaven or uh, man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Now, Judas as well was the only Judean in the discipleship uh, group. In other words, he wasn't from Galilee. And Judeans kind of looked down on the Galileans. Galileans were country bumpkins. Judeans were a little more dignified, a little less common. Does it make sense? So so Judah, or Judas, man, you know, he kind of had this air about him. <clears throat> he also, I believe, can't, can't 100% say this with total confidence, but it, he was probably a zealot. And in the first century, zealots were... Politically minded Jewish people who, this is a simplified version, wanted to overthrow the Roman government. His last name is scary. it means dagger man, and they had daggers, they would carry daggers underneath their robes and they would kill people for political reasons. It was kind of one of those weird type of deals, but anyway, zealots were looking for the Messiah to overthrow Rome. Does this make sense? They were looking for the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament to come and overthrow Rome. They weren't necessarily worried about their sin. Does that make sense? They were were worried about their lifestyle. They were worried about their future. They were worried about restoring the kingdom of Israel in its glory days. And the Messiah would not come that way. And as Jesus began to teach judas's belief this is this is the way I, I mean I read a ton of of things on Judas I think that this is what Judas was thinking no 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 this is not the way the messiah's coming no no I don't I don't I don't I don't think this is does it make sense He's, the more Jesus talked the less Jesus, Judas believed because he had a, a different world view so this fact about Judas is that <clears throat> he um, was really really didn't believe in the message of Jesus. Now, he also conspired to betray Jesus. In other words, he initiated the conversation with religious leaders. Luke chapter 22. I'm going to borrow from another gospel real quick. Then Satan entered Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples, and he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted and they promised to give him money. So we agreed and began looking for an opportunity to, to betray Jesus so they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. Very pop, Jesus was very popular, and the, the religious leaders were not trying to stir up a riot. And the reason is not because they, didn't, they cared about the people, they cared about the, their relationship with the Roman government. Does it make sense? The religious leaders were protective of their relationship with Rome. They did not want anything disrupting that. And some guy like Jesus, who's teaching something really different, some zealots, a part of his following, and they're going, you're going to ruin it for us. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's not only what Jesus said, that he was God, and that offended them, but it was also a political thing, that they were afraid that he was going to ruin their relationship with Rome. So Judas does not get... They don't come to Judas and say, hey, we're we're trying to figure out what to do with Jesus. Can you help us? No. He goes to them. He initiates the betrayal and sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Another fact about Judas is Judas condemned himself. You ever felt so strongly about something only to realize that something was wrong? Judas realizes, Matthew chapter 27, I'm going to borrow it from another gospel as well, when Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, I'm guessing that Judas was thinking, I'm just going to get him out of the way. You know what I'm saying? I'm just going to, you know, maybe they'll put him in prison. Maybe they'll stop his ministry. Maybe they'll, you know, do something. But when he realized that they had actually condemned Jesus to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care? They retorted. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. Um, Enough said. He felt bad for what he did. Now, before we judge Judas too harshly, I want us to look at two stories that I think are really important. They have challenged me, and I, I think they're going to challenge you because I don't know that before studying this, I would have ever said that I'm a lot like Judas. Okay? I would, I, you know what I'm saying? We, I know Judas betrayed Jesus, and I would just, I, would, I could never think of myself doing that, Right? But the more I read and prayed, the more I thought, hmm. And I know if I feel like there are times I'm like Judas, then I'm the pastor. I know you are a lot like Judas, right? (laughs) Okay, you guys. So I pray for you that you get it. Okay, so here are the two stories. John 12, John 13. First John 12. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man who He had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor Mary or I'm sorry Martha, served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. A few thoughts about this encounter in particular. The first one is great grace with great gratitude. This has nothing to do with Judas. This has everything to do with Mary. Verse 3, 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 3. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it. Uh, This was a year's worth of salary, wiping his feet with her hair, humility, gratitude, and the house was filled with the fragrance. The fragrance of gratitude. The fragrance of the realization that I have been saved from much. It is my opinion that Mary, the sister of Lazarus and and Martha, was Mary Magdalene. Can't swear to that, and it didn't really matter, but Mary Magdalene, we know, was a woman of sin prior to meeting Jesus. Jesus changes her life. And as she anoints, Jesus' feet with oil and rub, you know, dries it with her hair. I won't even go into the Jewish ramifications of that, the weirdness of that. Even today, that would be weird, right? Um, there, there was this realization, and I just wonder, if you and I have a realization of the amount of grace that we have received. Many of us were raised in church Many of us, we didn't go wild. We're not perfect, and we know we're not perfect, but we didn't go crazy. There is an era about someone who feels like that God's kind of lucky to have them on their team. Does that make sense? There's this, there's a, you can just feel it from somebody who is self-righteous. Jesus dealt with this, all the time with the religious leaders. They just kind of felt like they were better then. They kind of looked down on other people. And there is this tendency that if you've been forgiven much, right? If you, if you, let's say some of you have been professional sinners and maybe still are, and you know how to sin good. I mean, when you do, you do it right, all right? So, and then you've been forgiven, and then you may, maybe you go through regeneration and God is transforming you, and you have, your eyes are opened to the, the gospel and to the great love of God. You were once dead, and now you're alive like the blind man. And there is this awakening that you realize how grateful, how grateful you are that Jesus loves you, that he extended his invitation for eternal life and abundant life. There is a, there's an awareness, and that's where Mary is, because great grace merits great gratitude. But Judas, he's a little different. He's got this attitude. Like, hey, that was, wait, this is a waste of money. Right? This is, this is a waste. Because of his spiritual pedigree, he looked down and didn't feel the need for the great grace that Mary knew she needed, have you ever experienced that? Have you, has that ever been a part of your life? Let me just put it on the screen. Great grace should equal great gratitude. And if you're in the room and you think you don't need great grace, you don't understand your sin. You don't understand your state. And I, and I pray that today you'd be encouraged to understand that all of us, all of us, no matter who we are, no matter how we were raised, are in desperate need of God's grace. And with that comes a gratitude where we worship the Lord, where we're not afraid to extend our worship in a song or extend our worship in giving or extend our worship in serving or extend our worship in letting our light shine. Does it make sense? Mary was not encumbered. Mary was not reserved. She lavished that gratitude and lavish that worship on Jesus because she knew the amount of grace that had been lavished on her. Think about that. The second point is, I think, just as important. Perceived little grace with little gratitude. Now, here's Judas's attitude back to the passage 12. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume is worth a year's wage. This is a waste of money that should have been sold and given to the poor. He didn't care about the poor. He, had, he could care less. In fact, he was stealing from Jesus and the disciples. He would pocket some of the money. He had this condescending attitude. And he was offended at the cost of what was spent on anointing Jesus. And when it comes to money, listen, this is a, a telltale sign of someone who doesn't get it, I, mean, I understand all the abuses in church and all the abuses of money, and you know, pastors or leaders not really, you know, living a, a, a normal lifestyle—they're just crazy. But the, the general, you know, part of of church and ministry, the, a telltale sign of someone who has a, either been really abused, or taken advantage of, or really has a. Kind of a self-righteous thing is about money. I got a friend here. at I'm not going to mention any names, of course, but every time we raise money, and we've been over the years since 2000, we've raised, we've had a few fundraisers, right, for buildings or for the campus or, you know, for whatever. And, and, and so every time we've had a fundraiser, uh, he leaves the church. He just leaves. Doesn't tell me. He just leaves. And then when we're all settled down, comes back. Right, and then a few years later, we're going. Hey, we're going to start a Salina campus, and so we're going to raise some money. <laughs> and I don't get mad; I get I get sad. This is the attitude of Judas, and I'm not calling him a Judas. I'm just saying that there is a disconnect. There is a perceived. Can you put that back on the screen? There is a perceived little grace. There is this. There's there's this feeling like, hey, I, I know I'm not perfect, but. I only need a little bit of grace. Now, my buddy over here, he needs a lot. You know what I'm saying? And we look at people in that vein. We look at people who have a testimony, and we kind of go, because they've, you know, been through the ringer, and their life has been crazy, but now Jesus has changed their life. They were blind, but now they see. They were dead, but now they're alive. And then that was great grace. But me, I only need a little grace. Guys, I'm realizing as I look at some of these characters, some of the bad ones, right? You look at the religious leaders and and never was there, besides Nicodemus, never was there like an interesting, productive conversation with the religious leaders. Jesus was always ticked off at them and they were always trying to catch him in some kind of heresy. My point is, The more I look at this, the more I'm like Judas in many ways. Maybe not about money, but other things. What about you? Let me ask you a question. Are you a person who knows you have received great grace or a person who perceives you have received little grace? I hope you know, and I hope I know, That I need great grace. Not just once. How many know that? Not just salvation grace. Not just like, okay, I'm in. Fire insurance. No, a little, a little more than that. There's a constant understanding in my the older I get, the more I understand how much grace I really need. And our answer to this question not only affects our relationship with Jesus, but it affects our relationship with others. Let me give you, again, the list of Judas. Here's Judas's list. You ready? He was condescending. Uh, That that could have been given to the poor. Judgmental. What are you doing? This is crazy. Stingy, self-absorbed, and a thief. I mean, there's not much good we can talk about, right? This all equals punk. How many would agree? How many would agree? Okay, I mean, you're just like, man. This is Judas Iscariot. Now let me give you John McKenzie's list, okay? Condescending, judgmental, stingy, self-absorbed, thief. Do you understand what I'm saying? Have there there been times when I've been condescending, looked down on others, spiritually speaking? Have I been judgmental? Mm-hmm. Have I been stingy every once in a while? Not really. But no, I'm kidding. I probably have. I probably have. Have I been self-absorbed? I'm an only child. I'm born that way. <laughs> right? I hate it. I, I hate that. I really do. But but I, yeah. And the thief. I mean, depending on what you mean by thief, but Yeah. Let me put it on the screen like this. We are all more like Judas than we think. And the quicker we realize that, the quicker we can adjust our lives to live up or to line up with Jesus rather than Judas. Because when you walked in the room, I'm doubting anybody would say, Hey, what Bible character do you rate, relate to most? Judas. <laughs> 99.9% of you would, that would not even have been in your thought. Maybe Peter, you know, maybe Paul, maybe, you know, thief on the cross. I doubt anybody would have said Judas. Now, before we go, I've got a little bit of time. One more story. It's in John 13. This is the Last Supper. Verse 1. Here we go. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry and, and on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, Poured water into a basin. <clears throat> then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now, this is a very uh, famous story. The Last Supper, feet washing or foot washing, whatever you'd say. Um, Jesus leading the way in servanthood. He's saying, This is the path to blessing. This is my body, this is my blood, do this in remembrance of me, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. A lot of the famous lines that we get from John 13 and and ideas or principles we get are valid and right, but there's one that we rarely talk about, and that is that Jesus washed the foot or the feet of the disciple who would betray him. He didn't skip over him. He didn't wait until Judas had left to go do his business. He washed the feet of the disciple who would betray him. Jesus didn't believe in his message. He had a political worldview that was way different than what Jesus was describing. He was condescending and judgmental. He was stingy and actually stole money from Jesus and the disciples. And yet, and by the way, Jesus knew all of those things. Jesus wasn't like, oh, you get to heaven and go, Judas did all that? Wow. No, he knew, but he chose to wash his feet. Here's my point. I think you and I have some people in our lives that have betrayed, stolen from us, not, not just money. Some of you have experienced someone stealing your life right away from you by their actions. And you've had to start life over again. Does this make sense what I'm saying? You've had people steal from you. You've had people betray you. I think that you need and I need to wash their feet. Here's what I mean. There are going to be relationships that will never reconcile. Maybe somebody in your life that has wronged you is already passed away. And there is no making it right. There is no water under the bridge. It it is what it is. There are some of us who have relationships right now, and they, you have been betrayed, you have been on the side of someone stealing the life right from you and your family. The model of Jesus is that instead of lashing out, instead of pursuing revenge, he actually washes their feet. I understand not every relationship can be reconciled, but don't let it be because of you. Jesus and Judas were not unreconciled because of Jesus. So let that be with us. As much as it is within you, live in peace with everyone. Wash feet even when you've been betrayed. Wash feet even when you've been stolen from. Wash feet. And when you do, and when I do, the bondage that we've been held in, in bitterness, anger, resentment, revenge, pain. Let me tell you something. You can go all the, all the therapy in the world. You can drink all the alcohol you want. You can take every pill you want. But if you don't understand where the pain comes from. And the, and the healing for that pain is only found in Jesus. Only found in Jesus and His way. If you don't release that person who's wronged you, if we don't release those people who have betrayed us, we hold ourselves in bondage. And Jesus washes His feet. Who in your life do you need to get the water and the towels out And wash their feet. Not saying you have to let them trample all over you. Not saying it's not complicated. I'm just saying. Let me let me put on the screen as in a form of a question. Am I more like Judas or Jesus? Before you answer, think about it. Am I more like Judas, or am I more like Jesus? So, three people in the room. You really are a Judas. You don't believe pray that today would be the day wherever you are, whatever campus you're you're at or online you're a Judas and you do not believe today I pray that you would change your mind that even though you don't have all the answers to your questions that there's something inside that the Holy Spirit is knocking on your door saying today's the day where we get this reconciled your relationship with God. And That only comes through Jesus. We repent of our sin and we turn to Jesus. So if that's you, you're a Judas, you don't believe, I pray that today you would actually believe. Second person in the room, you're a religious person who perceives little grace. Of all the people, I feel more sorry for you than anyone if you don't understand the depths of our disconnect from God and the sin that is separated and the self-righteousness and the judgmentalism the stinginess, the thieving the whatever, right? if you don't understand that I feel sorry, more sorry for you than anyone else you're one of the religious leaders. And I'm, I'm not trying to make you mad at me. I'm just telling you, today can be the day where you recognize, light goes on and say, you know what, I think I'm more like Judas. I pray for you, that you would make that adjustment and you would turn from that lifestyle. The third are those of you, us, who have people in our lives that we are holding bondage, holding responsible for our pain, not saying they're not responsible, not saying they don't deserve Judas's end. But what if you, like Jesus, let them go? And in so doing, you let yourself go and you begin that healing process. It's not gonna happen overnight but you release your dad from what he did. You release your mom from what she did. You release your brothers, your sisters. You release that pastor. You release that priest. You release that boss. You release that ex-husband, that ex-wife. You release your children. And understand that you have been forgiven much, so you forgive much. Those three people, if that's you, I pray that today we would make a step, take a step towards him. Lord, well, um, heavy, this is a, a life that nobody wants to emulate, nobody, but yet we find ourselves in many times or seasons of our lives doing just that walking in the footsteps of Judas rather than Jesus. God, I pray that you would, I I pray that our eyes would be opened to our lives as you see it. It's not that you're mad at us. It's not that you're trying to make us feel bad. But conviction leads to repentance. Condemnation leads to depression. Condemnation is from the enemy. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. I pray that we would be convicted. I pray for those who are Judases that don't believe. I pray for those who are Judases who are self-righteous. I pray for those who are Judases who need forgiveness. But don't release it. So Lord, may we take steps toward you today in every way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.